Welcome to the Bonhoeffer Podcast, a podcast about Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life, theology, and practice. My name is Corey Tuttle, and I will be the host of this podcast. Uh, for those of you who don't know anything about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German theologian who lived during the early 1900s. He became involved in the German resistance against the Nazi regime, and ultimately, two weeks before the end of the war, he was hanged for his involvement in the resistance. And that's just a little bit about him. There's tons more, and I'm sure we will get into that in this podcast. A little bit about me. I'm a graduate student at Whitworth University in the theology department, and I'm currently working on my Master of Arts, hoping to do a, a thesis in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's theology. So I've created this podcast to help me research. Um, there are many written works about Bonhoeffer, um, but very few audio resources. It's likely because it's, this is a very specific uh, genre of podcast. There hasn't been another podcast created. You probably won't hear any ads or anything like that. No, uh, no mattresses, no underwear for sale or anything like that. But the goal of this podcast is just for me and for you, the listener, to be able to hear Bonhoeffer scholars talk about the things that they're passionate about and to learn from them. Um, uh, as a side note, though, if you are listening to this and you are speaking at a conference, you are a Bonhoeffer scholar or something like that, get in touch with me. Um, even if it's not to have an interview with me, uh, I'd love to make any lectures or talks or anything like that uh, available to the public through this podcast. So, uh, yeah, get in touch. For this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Steve Besner. Uh, Dr. Besner is the senior pastor of Houston Northwest Church and holds a Ph.D. in religion from Baylor University under Dr. Barry Harvey on Dietrich Bonhoeffer's theology. His dissertation is entitled The Theological Hermeneutics of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which he successfully completed in 2008. As a side note, in the show notes on this podcast, I will also include a link to a free copy of Dr. Bessner's dissertation. And a pro tip for that, it is in PDF form. It'll save you a lot of time staring at a computer screen you can send a PDF to yourself to the Kindle app, and that way you can read it on a tablet or a phone. That's how I went about it. So that would be my suggestion to you. I really enjoyed my time with Dr. Besner. I've, I've been following him for a long time, and it was great to finally be able to have this conversation. I'm looking forward to future episodes, so I hope that you enjoy this one, and let me know what you think. I am joined today by Steve Besner. Steve is the senior pastor of Houston Northwest Church, he writes for the Gospel Coalition and for, for the church. And he also holds a PhD in religion from Baylor University. So uh, Dr. Bessner, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me today, Corey, I appreciate it. Uh, you were the first person to encourage me years ago to study Bonhoeffer, so it only, it only seemed right. Um, just a random Twitter reply to you and you, you kind of set me up with a bunch of options and a bunch of things to look into. So figured uh, if, if anyone's gonna start this off on the right foot, it'd be you, so, so thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, so what I figured I'd do is kind of lay all our time together and we can jump into some Bonhoeffer questions. Um, essentially, I'm hoping to, to hear more about you, your story, how you got interested in Bonhoeffer, your time studying at Baylor, uh, doing dissertation under Dr. Harvey, and applying it, because you're a pastor now, what does it look like to apply Bonhoeffer's writings and theology in the everyday? Um, so yeah, we can jump into that. Um, really. The, the question I have to start us off is, how did you discover Bonhoeffer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I became aware of Bonhoeffer as a senior in high school. Uh, my, my student pastor 
um, had a group of us that were juniors and seniors who would meet uh, Sunday nights for a discipleship time. And he, he was really trying to develop at that point. And so he was having us read some of the classics of Christianity. And as part of that, we read Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship. Um, for me, that was probably the first theology text that I had ever read. I wouldn't have known to define it as a theology text at that time, mm -hmm. but I recognized that it was different than other quote unquote Christian books I had read up to that point in my life. You know, I'd read things like, you know, Max Lucado or uh, kind of more popular type sure. book. And even though I had read some books from classical Christianity, I had never, they'd only been excerpts. I had never really done a full textual reading. And then suddenly here was this concept of cheap grace. And there was this walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And I encountered any of these sorts of thoughts before. And so they really captured my attention as someone who was, um, you know, a senior in high school and really wanted to be serious about his faith which I, you know, I think a lot of 18 year olds are very earnest in their faith. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to be serious. And this was finally someone who was challenging me to think more deeply, to not only think, but to also act in a particular way. So it just really grabbed hold of my attention at that time. Yeah, that was going to be kind of be my, my next question is um, you, you went through and you read Christian classics. I'm sure you read what Luther, Calvin, all, all of these uh, church fathers in a sense. What, what stuck out as, as far as Bonhoeffer that led you to want to study specifically his theology? Yeah, so um, prior to, to going to, to university, what I'd really run into had been, um, you know, kind of a, I, I mean, I think a very healthy version of Christianity, but also a very limited view. It didn't have a very broad scope at all of what Christian thought entailed. And so as I began to be exposed to things like um, mystics, um, Brother Lawrence and Teresa of Avila and that kind of thing, and then to be exposed to some other more theologically grounded thinkers as I proceeded into the university years, the one thing that I noticed was that they delved a great deal into theory, but never really spent a ton of time on practice. Um, that's probably why I ended up being a pastor rather than a professor was because I was always obsessed with the practical application. I was always obsessed mm -hmm. with how to embody the things I was reading. And so um, even though I love and still do love the theory behind it and I can geek out over the, the theological uh, insights, um, I always respected and wanted someone who would really say, no, if this is what the text says and how the text says it, then this is how we need to apply the text. And I think that that was one of the things that Bonhoeffer did in the cost of discipleship, which I had really been, been really looking for. And so um, it was very challenging. It was thought provoking. And so, yeah, I think that the thing about him was that he was, he was deeply academic, very thoughtful, engaging in uh, the most you know, rigorous ways of thought you know, with his contemporaries. But then at the same time, not simply ending with theory and, and jumping into practice. So that's probably what, what grabbed me and really what's kept me interested. I have a feeling that every person I ask that question is gonna say the same thing. My undergrad, I just read a book and all of a sudden, this is different than anything else I've ever read as far as, I'm not taking this seriously. 
yeah, what, what was the, the one for you that, that grabbed you? Um, you know, I actually read, uh, I, I started with the Metaxas biography. Um, okay. I, I know there's widely, vastly differing opinions on that, but we can't deny that it is probably the greatest title to a book. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it and I was like, whoa, this sounds really interesting. And I, and I read it and that's exactly what came across for me. I just thought, he is, he's taking this so seriously. And I, I noticed in my own life, my, my tendency to, to not, to kind of laugh things off, to uh, cut corners. And I, here I have someone saying that only the faithful have obedience and only the obedience have faith. And that really pressed on me. So I started, I started from there and I, I got into Life Together was my next one and then kind of been hooked ever since. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I didn't know until I got into my, my dissertation was that prior to really that, that phase, you know, cost of discipleship, life together, you know, he was a rising star in the academic world, you know, able to hold his own, go toe to toe with all the theoreticians and the philosophers of his day. And I mean, just intricate in the detail that was found in his thought. And so that was what really surprised me was that he had all of these academic opportunities, but he was always intrigued by the application. And that was really what I think always drew him back into the, into the fray, so to speak. Mm -hmm. oh, that's so interesting. You mentioned your, your dissertation. I was going to ask you about that. How was your time at Baylor um, under Dr. Harvey? What, what's he like? What, what is doing a dissertation at Baylor like? And it, I read your dissertation, so it seemed uh, pretty taxing. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I graduated from Baylor, so, you know, filter this comment appropriately, but I think that the religion theology program at Baylor is one of the best kept secrets in the country right now. It's, it's incredibly rigorous, it's orthodox, and it is, it is challenging. And um, mm -hmm. I know that a lot of other programs get some notoriety, particularly in the evangelical world. Um, you know, Baylor doesn't have, you know, it's not sometimes conservative enough for certain tribes and it's not liberal enough for others. It's, it's more independent, but it is, I think, very rigorous. I think it's just an outstanding place. So that's, that's just the program generally. Um, Barry Harvey is the person who um, I loved to hate at that time in my life, but <laughs> I mean, he is, he's the reader scholar and to be able to truly study, he's, um, I mean, he's brilliant. And um, he, he wrote a great book um, called uh, Can These Bones Live? I, I would, I would encourage anybody to read that. Um, that book is formative for, um, it's it's just got a great academic approach, but also in the same way as Bonhoeffer, it's ruthlessly practical. And so I think that that Barry Harvey is an insightful Bonhoeffer scholar, but also just an insightful biblical and theological scholar. I was uh, paired up with him, and, and the other primary reader was a, a professor named Ralph Wood. And Ralph is a voracious reader. Um, he's just an incredible thinker. And so between his command of Catholic thought and, uh, and, and then Barry's just command of really contemporary theology in general, it's, it's really impossible to write a dissertation under them without really learning a ton. I mean, you just you can't help but get out of there without reading a ton and learning a ton. So it's great.
That's great. How did you decide on your topic? Yeah, well, you know, that, that really was from Barry. I am... Um, I went in wanting to write more of a Baptist reading of Bonhoeffer. I had I had found some things in in a library uh, with the the Bruderhof community up in New York, and I had kind of discovered these Anabaptist ties that Bonhoeffer had. Where um, I made kind of a, I presented a paper on this at a conference that that Bonhoeffer had really based his Finkenwalder Seminary on the Anabaptist uh, community of the Bruderhof that was at the time that had a community uh, outside of London. And he was serving as a pastor there at the time and met with the, the founder's son and, and that sort of thing. So I, I really um, was kind of wanting to work that angle, but uh, Barry really insisted on the fact that that angle was too narrow. He wanted me to broaden my, my focus because he wanted me to write something that uh, did more than, than to, to kind of put it simply, to tribalize Bonhoeffer, but he wanted me to really study in a way that would attack it um, from a broadly theological perspective. And so I'm, I'm glad in retrospect that I did. I mean, at the time it was, it was pretty challenging, but uh, I think it, it really helped me down the road. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I want to get into the, your actual dissertation. Um, I, I definitely don't want you to have to uh, defend it or anything like that. You've, you've done that. <laughs> I'm more than to learn from you. Uh, I, I read your, your, uh, dissertation and the thesis it seems is, uh, his works are a project of theological hermeneutics with an ecclesial focus. Right. Um, can I have you just give me the layman terms of what that means and uh, how it can affect anyone who is looking into studying Bonhoeffer more? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I think it's fascinating because if you read, so Bonhoeffer wrote two dissertations and um, those Sanctorum Communio Act and Being, those two dissertations really have all of the theological terms that he then unpacks the rest of his career. You know, not to geek out too much, but that is really kind of a radical position to take in Bonhoeffer studies because most people would argue that whenever he was arrested, he had a radical theological break. And so what I'm arguing is actually, no, he's continuing to simply develop the same theories. So the whole point of that is, is that these theories that he has are the lenses that he's using to view the world. And so that's really what theological hermeneutics is. So if you're, if you're a theology student, you have to take a hermeneutics class at some point, which is hermeneutics is just the fancy word for interpretation, but typically hermeneutics in a seminary context or a university context is about interpreting the biblical text. So mm -hmm. theological hermeneutics is using theology as your interpretive lens for the world. So the way that I understand the world is through this theological lens. So my argument was that Bonhoeffer was, was doing a project of theological hermeneutics, helping readers interpret the world, but using the church as the focus. So in other words, you can't understand what's happening in 1933 in Nazi Germany unless you view it through the lens of the New Testament through the theology and the teaching of Jesus, and you compare what Hitler is building against the church. Wow. So that was, so Bonhoeffer, I mean, he's being really subversive at the time. It's pretty shocking. And so he's holding that up and trying to, trying to show that to the people that are in Nazi J. Hey, whenever you're, you're buying into this, you need to look at the kingdom. You need to look at the church and you need to use that as your foil and um, yeah, so that's that's kind of it. So my 
my whole dissertation just argues that in each phase, he's doing that with maybe a slightly different target of interpretation. So mm -hmm. cost of discipleship, for instance, it's really all about obedience under a dictator. I mean, that's, that's what it's Nazi Germany. But by the time you get to say, um, you know, ethics, he's still doing theological hermeneutics, but he's more situational. And, mm -hmm. you know, and then by the time you get to um, his prison writings, he's still trying to do the same project, but he's not in the middle of the day-to-day -day political activity. So he's having to basically theorize about what he thinks will happen because it was pretty apparent by the time that Bonhoeffer was arrested that Germany was going to lose the war. Uh, the Allies had already made their beachhead. Or, um, so, I mean, it was pretty clear that there was an advance coming. Um, so most of his writing in, in prison is trying to envision what's the future going to be like once he anticipated being released from prison. How is a church going to be able to function in the middle of a country that was complicit with what Hitler had done? And so he, every step of the way, he's interpreting reality through the lens of theology, using the church as his, as his foil. I, I don't know if that's too technical, but that's-, that's No, that's, that's perfect. And it's really helpful. I'm actually reading ethics right now. Okay. And I, I read your dissertation alongside it, so it was really helpful to see how many times he is talking about reality and the reality yeah. that exists is, is the one that Jesus died for. Um, and then applying that to how we should live and specifically in life together, I think he, it's so much that we should live as a community of people that have been saved by Christ. Um, yeah, really helpful. So thank you. That's great. That's good, man. I'm I'm glad to hear it was helpful. Uh, so your so now speaking of applying a, an ecclesial focus, a focus on the church. Mention I think you mentioned uh, at some point in your dissertation that you've decided to not pursue prof professorship, but to go towards the pastorate. And I, it makes sense when I'm thinking about reading this. I'm like, how could you do anything other than want to pastor a church after seeing that this is the focus of what has done is to exist as church community. So I was wondering application, how does Bonhoeffer affect the way that you uh, pastor? And also, I, just as a caveat, I mentioned, I read at the end of your dissertation, you apply nonviolence ethics towards uh, illegal immigration. Um, and I mean, it's been a while since you've written it. Is that something that you're still doing? How does that apply? Yeah, I mean, there, uh, yeah, absolutely. A lot, lot to discuss there. Um, yeah, so I, I think that on the application piece, you know, as we've already mentioned, that's one of the things that Bonhoeffer forces you to do is he, he doesn't let the text lie. And I think that plenty of people have disagreed with his take on what the application ought to be, but I appreciate the fact that he refuses uh, to, to just let it, let it be theoretical, but instead insists on the practical. The, um, I think that just a few things. I think that, you know, for instance, one of the things that Bonhoeffer is always insisting on is that the way of Jesus is the defining way. And so, you know, one of the practical applications that I think that is really relevant in 21st century American politics is that it's very easy to see um, individuals choosing um, to make, you know, one political ideology line up with Jesus. And, um, you know, I, I don't like, it's pretty common in my Twitter timeline, you know, I'll, I'll scroll through social media. And I mean, the same people are always agreeing with one side. 
you know, whatever that side is, you know, here's person A, they're always retweeting and liking and agreeing with democratic talking points. And then here's person B and they're always retweeting and liking and agreeing with Republican talking points. And I think that those who are honest about what the New Testament says is that the way of Jesus is always going to rub up against um, both of the political philosophies of our day. And so being a kingdom individual is always going to leave you a little bit out in the cold in the corridors of power. Mm-hmm. So the practical application of Bonhoeffer means that you have to take more of a prophetic stance uh, than most individuals in the Christian community are comfortable taking. But I mean, just look at most of the pastors today that have some notoriety. They want to be in the corridors of power. They want to have an opportunity to, I want to go visit the White House, or I want to be able to to uh, to know someone who's in the government. And not that there's anything wrong with knowing people in the government. I think that's helpful. Mm-hmm. But my job as a pastor is not to cozy up to them. My job is to is to rather be present in order to speak truth to power. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of the church being the conscience of the government. And I think that that was something that Bonhoeffer understood and saw as well. And so that's that's really that kind of practical application point. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to immigration, you know, right now we're in the, I mean, couldn't be more <laughs> apropos. Right. Most people want to say it's got to be one or the other. So we either are um, for the refugee, um, the asylum seeker, or we are for border security. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know that that's really something that has to be an either or. Um, so you got to think, what, what would be the kingdom approach? Well, I don't think that the kingdom of God is opposed to law. I don't think the kingdom of God is opposed to order. But the kingdom of God would be certainly in favor of care for those who are marginalized, care for those who are oppressed. And so I think that, you know, in the border situation, that's one of those, those places where you say, why does it have to be an either or? Can it be a both and or is there a, a third way? As a, as a pastor in a local context, um, you know, what we've decided is that, I mean, there is a massive surging population of Spanish speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those individuals are traveling here through the southern border from Central America slash Mexico majority of them. Mm-hmm. Um, once they are in the state of Texas, I don't think that my job as a pastor is to be the police and to turn those individuals in. Um, and not because I'm opposed to the law and order, but I think that from the Christian perspective, once those individuals are in my town, they're they're my neighbor, right? So mm-hmm. I know that kind of sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I feel like this kind of goes back to the reality perspective of Bonhoeffer, right? So the only reality we have is the one that, that, that exists. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about security and economic realities and security realities at the border. I think that Bonhoeffer would understand and, and agree with that. And at the same time, if there's a, an immigrant in my neighborhood who is in need, um, then our job is not to turn that individual in, but to serve them and help them. And so I've watched my church do that in innumerable ways with countless families over the last, you know, however many years, uh, not just the church where I currently serve, but previous congregations. So I think that it's about, you know, being, being the presence of Jesus where you are. So if I'm someone who's in government, I might have to take a different perspective or stance because that's more ethical 
and more reasonable. But then if I'm the pastor or the believer in the community, I think I've got to apply that by loving the neighbor who has ended up in my community. Wow. I don't know. I, I talked a long time there. So hopefully that no, that's, uh, that's really helpful. I think it's what you said. It's, we're not going to land on, on one or the other. I'm, I'm, I'm confident that Jesus would welcome anyone and everyone. <laughs> uh, but I'm also confident that Jesus is all about protection and the welfare of all humans. That means both ways. It's such a complicated issue right now. But yeah. I just thought it was so interesting that I'm like reading your dissertation from 2008 and all of a sudden, you know, okay, yeah, let's, let's do this podcast. Oh, we're in a 20 day government shutdown. So I figured I'd be, you know, it'd be wrong for me not to bring it up and ask your opinion. Good. It's kind of interesting because when I, when I wrote that, uh, George W. Bush was president. And so he was, and had been attempting at the time. And then this, this policy, you know, tried to come back to life under president Obama. And then, Let's be honest, again, under President Trump, there's always talk of immigration reform. And what I think most mm-hmm. people mean when they talk about immigration reform is by finding a way where there's not such a long taxing process for those who would like to apply for citizenship, mm-hmm. become citizens. But at this, you know, in 2008, the same reality, 2018, it's a post 9-11 world, um, you know, in um, today on C-SPAN, I saw a video clip of a, uh, I'm not going to get his title right, but it was an officer who leads a a unit in McAllen, Texas, right there in the valley. And he said, you know, hey, yesterday, one day alone, we caught 133 individuals um, who are trying to enter the United States that were not from Mexico or Central American countries. I mean, that, that, that to me is, Interesting. That's a that's a staggering mm-hmm. stat. So I think that that means that yeah, there are some security realities at the border that we need to consider. We also need to love those who are marginalized and in our community. And I think that um, thinking through the kingdom means that we've got to try and find categories that aren't always neat and tidy and provided by you know donkeys or elephants. And that's the that's the tough part is that the narrative is professionally crafted in an office in DC and we don't really always get the opportunity to try and think, okay, how, how, how could we create a narrative that makes sense from a scriptural point of view? So that's, that's what I try to do with my congregation is to take that idea of theological hermeneutics and then apply that, you know, at the, at the congregational level. Wow. That is so helpful. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, we're reaching the end of our time. I just have a couple of quick ones for you. Someone who has not read any of Bonhoeffer before, where should they start in your opinion? Cost of discipleship, because that's the place where I started. <clears throat> um, I think if you open that book and you understand the context of Bonhoeffer reading it to an audience that, or writing it rather to an audience who was under the influence of Hitler at the time, you really begin to see that he's comparing the kingdom of Jesus with the Third Reich. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for anyone who lives in the United States, not to compare the United States with Nazi Germany, but just to say that we're a very powerful country. And sometimes we can be guilty of making an idol of our nation. And so mm-hmm. it's always good to compare the kingdom of God with the kingdom of America. Um, and then the one that you mentioned, Life Together, I think is 
is one that a lot of people find is a very helpful introduction because it talks about living as church. And, and I think that both of those are practical. Both of them are, you know, they're, they are um, dense, but they're, they're, they're easy reads in the sense that they're accessible. That's great. I have one last one. It's a, this is just a, a fun one. Uh, Desert yeah. Island. <laughs> one, bon one book by Bonhoeffer and one book about Bonhoeffer. Whoa. Wow. Okay, so the, the book by Bonhoeffer, um, I, I, might, I might go a little bit off script here and, and, and veer away from the cost of discipleship and veer away from the veer away from the life together. But I might actually go with the ethics hmm. because I think that um, it's, it's his, his theology is maturing. He didn't get to finish the book, but I think that you can really see some pretty next level thinking in that book. And I really like it. Um, and how the book about Bonhoeffer, wow, that is, that is super challenging. Probably the best biography of Bonhoeffer that I read was Charles Marsh's biography. Um, um, I was trying to think of some of the books that I read whenever I was in, um, whenever I was in doctoral studies, but let's just go ahead and say Charles Marsh's Strange Glory. Oh, I got mm -hmm. one more. Josiah Young uh, wrote a book on Bonhoeffer's experience in Harlem, and it's called No Difference in the Fair. And I, we didn't get into this, but I would say that the formative experience in Bonhoeffer's theological reality was the time that he spent in Harlem. And that mm -hmm. book is probably one that everybody needs to read. I will definitely look at that. I just finished Charles Marx's Strange Glory a couple months ago and really, really enjoyed it. Um, couldn't put it down. And it's, you know, it's saying something when you're reading, you know, a big, thick biography and you're just interested the whole time. So I, it's a great book. It is a great book. He did such a good job. Um, all right. Well, that'll that'll wrap up our time together. Again, thank you so much just for coming on. Um, if there's anywhere that you'd like for any listeners to reach out to you or uh, where they can find your writings, that sort of thing. OK, absolutely. Yeah, I think. It's always easy just to reach me on Twitter. My handle is Besner, B-E-Z-N-E-R. So feel free to contact me that way with any of your uh, theology, pastoral, Bonhoeffer questions. And I'd love to, to hear from you and visit with you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you, Corey. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dietrich Bonhoeffer podcast. And thank you to Dr. Besner for coming on. If you like what you hear and you want to know more or have any feedback at all, feel free to leave me a review on iTunes or reach out to me directly on Twitter at BonhoefferPod. And I think that will wrap us up. So I hope that you enjoyed it, and I will look forward to talking with you all soon. Thanks so much.